This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. All right, once once again, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Ty Church's podcast where each and every week we try to give you guys tips, techniques from some of our Sharpies, our local anglers, even some of our uh, captains and guides. Um, just make sure, once again, check us out on any of our social medias, Instagram or Facebook at Tide Chasers Podcast. Uh, this week, you know, I'm not fishing. It sucks. I wish I really was. But as we know, stripers are in season and then soon enough, blackfish are in season. And what's better than that than blackfish? Uh, I had to bring in one of the big guns for Blackfish. He was already on podcast before on the last one, and we're going to bring him back again for this. We're going to do a little bit different style this time. So, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce to you to one of my good friends, Frank Mahalik. How you doing, Frank? Great, Qua. How are you? Good, man. Good, good, good. You know what's right around the corner. I'm itching at it. I mean, I'm already in, into the bass already, but, you know, uh, we all enjoy catching bass and talk, right, all season long. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for me... After a few trips catching big bass, it, it for me it kind of goes stale. Mm-hmm. So I want to switch it up, and you know the be- next best thing it's and it's right around the corner is uh, blackfish. For sure, man. Blackfish is such a it's such an addictive type of fishing, and some mm-hmm. people really gravitate gravitate to the challenge, yeah. and some people not so much. I mean. Right now, our toggin is easy. You know, the, even the toggin up north, the guys that are fishing up in Rhode Island right now, their fisheries on fire right mm-hmm. now. The weather is still beautiful. You know, you're out there in, in, a, in a t-shirt some days. Maybe you're wearing a hoodie most days. It's, it's very easy fishing up there. Yeah. And it's easy fishing here right now, too. But in a few weeks, once we get started, once our season bumps up the four, and usually that's about the time when the striper fishing kind of disappears off the beaches a lot of times by by the middle of november 
the you know years ago that used to be the time for us to go out and find these bass but now it seems that's a time when a lot of fishermen are putting their surf rods down and they're you know begging their friends to hop on a boat and trying to get out there and get some of these blackfish on the on the reefs mm -hmm. and why do you think in the past say 10 years that um a lot of anglers are starting to get into more black fishing because back in the day, you know, black fishing wasn't a really big thing. Everyone's into surf casting, striper fishing, mm -hmm. that stuff. Blackfish was, I mean, even back way, way back then, it was like they were known as pretty much trash fish, right? No one really cared and targeted them. Right. I remember the first time I saw a blackfish, the, the guy called it a slippery bass. And I was like, a, a, a what? And he showed me this fish. And I, I mean, I didn't, I never saw one before. I figured it out pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, I tend to really gravitate towards things that aren't very common. You know, mm -hmm. if everybody's catching striped bass in the rips and I saw this little black fish, mm, I want to try to figure them out. And that's kind of what I did. But I very quickly learned, you know, the seasons, the seasonality changes. Like right now in our area in New Jersey, black fishing will get going really, really well in the fall. And I mean, in the backwaters, at the bridges, the side banks and in the inlet jetties. Usually when the kids go back to school, it's time for that season to start ramping up really, really well. And that'll go very well until around Thanksgiving, maybe a week or so either side of Thanksgiving, where all, you know, all of a sudden one week you're there and you're crushing them. And the next week that water temp dropped and boom, they're just, they're not going to eat. And, and that's that. And for the most part, they will stick around, but their eating really slows down. And I, I really don't think those small fish stay in the back all winter long. I think those smaller fish are migratory. They go, they go further out into the ocean for the winter time. They come back in again in the springtime to spawn. But even so, the smaller fish and the large fish have different habits. Right. Large fish where they live on a wreck 20 miles offshore, they're home bodies. They stay there. They live there. They spawn there. And they, they don't, people think they come in shore to spawn. The really, really big fish spawn where they live. Gotcha. So, I mean, what, what's your theory about why the, like, just say, I would call it the, not inshore, but like the backwater and the inlets fishing so good right now. Like I, 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 I talked to a few guys that talk, they, that's all they like doing and they'll have 50, 60 fish days, but out of 60 fish, there may be one that just barely reaches that keeper limit. The rest are like 13s, 14s and 14s and a half. Like, why is that bite so super consistent right now? Um, it's not so, it is super consistent and it's not mm -hmm. that, that tide that is going to change every day. Right. Like you're going to notice inshore. I noticed if you're fishing inshore in 15 feet of water and you have a lot of current, mm -hmm. if you're fishing a new moon or a new, uh, or a full moon with a lot of current coming through, you're going to pick fish throughout the tide. But when that tide's really running, they're going to start to get sluggish. And on those particular tides, as the tide starts to slow down and stop, those fish will probably bite like mad dogs. They'll go mm -hmm. crazy. And then when the tide starts moving the other way, they'll slowly slow down again. But the opposite I found true inshore when fishing like a quarter moon and a three, you know, going into that half moon phase yeah. where the tides aren't so strong, I found that those fish will bite heavier during the running tide and they'll actually slow down during the slack tide periods um there's a whole lot going on there Qua, 
I think it's fun. I think a lot of guys just like to catch fish. Yeah. You know, you go out, you, you fish all night for stripers. Maybe you don't get a touch. You want to go have some fun. So you go grab some, flip some rocks over and grab some Asian crabs or some green crabs and go have some fun and catch some blackfish. And yeah, that's why I've always loved it. I mean, it's just yeah. a great time. It is. And I think it's also a great time to introduce like, you know, I wouldn't say like toddlers, but like kids that are kind of just getting into it, you know, maybe like teenagers or something. It's a time that the fish are feeding and it's a lot more easier to kind of teach kids how to, how to do it that way. Sure. They're not going to catch monsters and jumbos, but they're going to have time because like kids, I mean, even adults like us, we like, we always like a bend in the rock. You know, a bend is always a fun day. It doesn't matter. You know, you're not going to, you're not going to bring a kid in middle of January out on a wreck and he'll sit no. there for like half hour for one bite. You know right. what I mean? No, my son, my son, Frankie, he just, he just, um, he just actually passed two bars. He cast, passed the California bar and he passed the universal bar. He just got sworn in in both states. When he was a kid, he would come out fishing with me on my boat and we would take a few of my buddies and he would take, the, he would pick up the green crabs, cut the legs off and cut them in half. And he would bring everybody on the boat, their bait, but they had to let them reel up a fish one time during the day. Okay. So that was, you know, it's a great way to, to introduce your kid into that kind of fishing. I think it is a little easier. That type of fishing, whether you're at a bridge or near a rock pile, when you're in the boat, your presentation is more vertical. It's more straight up and down. Mm -hmm. And even though the tide may want to blow it back a little bit, you're still you're still highly vertical. You know, yeah. you're on top in a boat, you're trying to keep your bait or your jig or your rig on the bottom and you're working it straight up and down. Taking a kid on a rock pile, I don't really think that that's a great idea because number one, it's the safety issue there. Mm -hmm. And number two, trying to fish a jig from a rock pile where you put your half a crab one, you flip it out 15 or 20 feet, it comes to the bottom, the current's moving it. As soon as it moves, it gets caught, lodged between the rocks and you mm -hmm. break it off. You have to break off and re-rig again. You know, there's a lot more going on here. And that's where the presentation has become more horizontal because now you're casting out away from the rock pile. I usually, when I'm trying to fish a rock pile, I try to get myself logistically set up on a spot where I can flip out, but the tide is coming from my back to my to 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 away from me. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense, so the tide is pulling away from yeah. me. Yeah. So if I flip out, my my jig will go to the bottom and it'll sit there, but the current isn't really pulling it like sweeping it left to right. Right. Because when that happens, it's very difficult to not constantly get snagged. You know what I mean? Okay. So there are certain ways, certain places you can find and certain ways you can fish certain places that you can do a lot better. And you have to be careful where you take kids. I think taking the kids from a boat or taking them off a fishing pier or even a dock, it's a great way to do it. A lot it. safer. Exactly. Yeah. So last, last time we had you on the podcast, we talked about targeting like big trophy tog off wrecks out front and like 80 to 100 feet of water. Mm -hmm. I mean, the tackle choice, you know, for that kind of fishing, like heavier gear, rigs. And we're fishing a whole lot deeper water. Mm -hmm. uh, but, I mean, today, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about light gears, jigs, and a lot less water. So mm -hmm. when we're defining light tackle jigging and a lot less water, what is kind of like the jigging depth range that you're looking for? I'll fish a jig in shore. Um, 
if if the current slacks out and if mm-hmm. it lets me get the jig down easily, I'd love to fish a jig inshore. Again, it, it's where you are in, in the logistics of the current. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're next to a rock pile and the current's sweeping down this rock pile, if you can find a little spot in the rock pile that maybe bumps out and you can anchor your boat just past that so that you're sitting in a little bit of the lee of the current that will make it a lot easier to get your jig to fish on the bottom but if you're tying up if you're under the margate bridge in 45 foot of water and the current's ripping you're barely hitting the bottom with a six and eight Mm -hmm. so it's really not the place to try jigging but then again keep in mind what i'm saying here about fishing inshore if you go out to the if you go out to the ocean city reef or to the to the axle you're you know three four five miles offshore if you tie a one ounce jig on and a half a crab and you drop it off your boat and it just goes straight down to the bottom it's almost like being in a in a mill pond there's no perceivable current out there and that's mostly because the further away you get from the inlets the more the current is diffused into the deeper water You'll have a surface current coming with the waves, you know, the way the waves are coming, it'll take it a little bit. But as the as your jig gets towards the, the bottom, a lot of times it'll touch bottom and you'll just close your bail and you'll come tight, lift your rod a little bit and just come tight on their jig. And it just sits there as sweet as can be. It, it, a lot of ways, fishing on a reef site with a jig is much easier than trying to fish at a rock pile or at a bridge back inside the bays. It it really is much harder to do it that way. So give it a chance when you're out front. It's fun. Definitely. But like in like in New Jersey, ideally these wrecks were in like 40, 50, 60 feet of water. Like um Mm -hmm. what's what's like the depth that you would say like, okay, well you know what? It's time to switch over to a rig. I know it depends on like you say current water conditions, sweeps and stuff like that. But ideally, like what's the max you would say you would you just literally just switch right over to rigs, no no more jigs? About a hundred foot. Mm-hmm. When I'm in a hundred foot of water, it's that that that's about the end of my comfort zone. I, I've caught them in, in water a hundred foot deep. Uh and boy, it made it it made a seven pound fish feel like a 12 pound fish really it's a whole lot of fun. Um, but I know guys that are jig fishermen that are a hell of a lot better than me and they catch a lot larger blackfish than I do on jigs. And they're the guys that I learn from, you know, and, and I'm lucky that I get to fish with these guys sometimes that they're simply exceptional. So you're saying there is no limitations to fishing with a jig. You could do it in hundred feet of water as long as everything falls into place, presentation, water, clarity, sweeps current as long as it all fails and you can get that vertical presentation, it's all game. You you can. But if I if we are on a boat where we are on a on a trophy hunting trip, yeah, when we have great weather and we're 30 miles offshore mm-hmm. and we're and you're one of six guys on the boat, we kind of got to have a little talk like, hey, let's all stick to rigs. Yeah, because when you do get on this wreck, you finally get there and you start fishing. If even if you're fishing a rig with 60 or 80 pound leader, you could break that fish off. Mm-hmm. If that fish breaks off, he's going to go down and it's usually going to shut the bite off on the wreck. If that happens, you really don't want to be that guy because if it shuts the bite off on that rig and we just we just ran 45 minutes to get there, we got set up, we're sitting there fishing for 15 or 20 minutes, we all kind of want to make the commitment, let's all fish rigs on this spot. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yep. 
So we usually when we're in that trophy hunting mode, we're not so much committed to just fishing jigs. But if the fish are not biting, if the fish are not committing, if they're not eating the bait correctly, if they're coming up and touching it and leaving it alone, mm -hmm. next bait they're coming up and they're, you know, little a little peck and they're leaving it alone. Sometimes one guy will fish a jig and see if that does get them going. Sometimes they'll eat the jigs a lot better than they'll eat the rigs for, for a certain reason. I don't like to admit it because I really do love, love fishing my rigs, but <laughs> there's a time and a place for it, you know, and when the, when the guy on the boat has one, two, three, four, five blackfish in the boat and I'm not getting touched, I'll move around, I'll cast around a little bit. If I'm still not getting eaten or something wrong, I, I'm not too proud. I'll drop a jig down there just fine. So, so guys, listen up. If you're on a six pack and there's six of you guys and there's five guys rigging, don't be the jig guy. Just just follow, just just be the rig guy until you guys all mutually agree someone's gonna someone's gonna drop a jig down just to yes. test. You know, it's always best talk to the captain, talk to the guys when we're mm -hmm. on deck. Usually, if we're fishing a reef site or something, we're not. At, you know, we're just out there catching fish. So obviously, somebody's gonna be fishing a jig or maybe two guys will be fishing jigs yeah but certain places are certain places are good for fishing jigs like when you're out at a reef site certain reef sites are really good certain reef sites like reef site 11 it's down off of delaware bay it has a tremendous influence of current from the mm -hmm. water flowing out of delaware bay so when we're fishing like cape may reef here we are sitting here talking about not a lot of not a lot of current because right. you're 10 miles off of cape may yeah when you put yourself 10 miles off of the mouth of delaware bay and you have 15 miles of open water rushing towards you mm -hmm. the incoming tide's not so bad there but the outcoming tide if it's a moon tide man you'll you'll be using 12s oh god that's so, a lot you know, of weight. Again, you, you know what? Everybody works together. Everybody figures yep. it out. And usually there's conditions that let us try certain things throughout the day. Right. But most importantly, the captain and the mate will know exactly what needs to be done that day. And they'll let you guys know. Yeah. Because yeah. usually the captain will turn around. Hey, we're not getting bit. Um, hey, any, anybody fishing a jig? And, you know, usually that'll, you know, get somebody going that route. So this time of season, we have three types of areas to fish, right? So, and especially water that we're jigging for talk. Uh, let's talk about we'll start from the back like the back bays and stuff and then we'll move our way out front so when we speak of back bays we're talking about side banks bridges docks um so let's start with the gear now the is the jigging gear would it be the same for say the back the jetty inlet and also the inshore bite or does it change i'm usually going to stay lighter when I'm when I'm fishing those inshore areas, and again, fishing the jig during those areas is usually where I can duck out of the current a little bit, or maybe mm -hmm. I can do it at slack tide a little bit. Yeah. Um, certain you'll find places where the water comes in from the inlet and it goes around this jetty or it goes around a seawall where you can tuck in behind it and you really don't have much current. So there's places you can, and I'll usually use something like um, I'll usually use like a 15 pound test spinning rod there, usually about about seven foot long. In this case, I would use like, um, I would use like the Century Weapon Junior Mag Taper, which mm -hmm. is a fairly stiff seven, seven, seven and a half foot spinning rod I use. And I'll rig it with like a three, a BGMQ Dioa reel with like 15 pound spinning line on it. I'll go with like a 20 pound leader that's like three foot long. 
yeah. and then I'll tie on a, a one, usually a one ounce jig, maybe an ounce and a half, maybe a, now I don't really like to go to a two around here, but if my ounce and a half isn't getting it done, then I'll usually just go to a rig. I know ounce and a half in the back is still a lot of weight though. So either way. So, uh, so most guys around here that are fishing the back base, they're, they're, they're mostly bridge and dock fishermen, right? But like the side banks is like a hidden mystery that no one talks about or no one knows about, mm-hmm. or they, we, they knew know about, but they don't want to disclose too much info about it. I mean, right. we want to protect your secrets too, but is there any tips and tricks to let a few anglers know if they're targeting side banks to like, what are they looking for? theoretically one of the good things you want to look for is you really want to look for that old guy in that old skiff that's sitting up there next to that bank and it's you know you're wondering what's he doing over there yeah he, he he's not over there you know c- catching catching some rays he's probably over there togging this time of year mm-hmm. uh that will usually turn you on to a spot that is a bank that the sedge completely falls off to a very sharp a sharp drop off mm-hmm. that'll go down into say 15 to 20, 25 foot of water, like right up next to the bank. Mm-hmm. That will usually indicate uh, some muscles on the bottom, which is really, really what you're after. Keep an eye on the banks. If you see muscles on the banks or in the walls, that's another excellent indication. But if you can get a spot where you pull your boat right up to the right up to the sedge bank wall. And if you, if you have like 10 feet of water right up next to this edge bank and 20 foot off, you're in like 20 foot of water. That's really a nice place where you want to start to investigate. Cool. Now, are we looking for like a a current area or more like less current area? No, here, when you're running along the sedge banks, the current will be channeled along the edges, kind of like walls, you know, Mm -hmm. so the, so the current's going to, you're not really going to be able to get away from it. Yeah. But if you can get on top of some mussels that are in the sedge banks, that's where the fish will be. Okay. And, and usually the really, really steep, the steep drop-offs will require a little bit of a tricky anchoring. But if you, you know, you don't want to like go right up and put your boat right up on the, on the sedge bank. Yeah. But if you can have yourself you know, anywhere between 10 and maybe 25, 30 feet off the bank, where usually as I, as I anchor up the boat in a situation like that, I'll drop my Danforth, maybe a hundred feet up current of where I want to anchor and I'll let the boat come back and I'll let it come back and then I'll come tight on the Danforth. So I'm tight on the string there. I'll turn my motor so that the bow of my boat goes towards the sedge bank. And when it goes right up towards this edge bank, I'll throw a, a little grappling hook. I have like a 12 inch long grappling hook that I made and I'll toss it up into the sedge grass, maybe, you know, 10 feet up above there, let it go up there, let it catch. And that's not, you know, the gra- the Danforth is doing the holding, the grapple coming straight off the bow onto the sedge, sedge grass. That yeah. lets me adjust my distance off of the sedge bank. Mm-hmm. Okay, so my grapple is, a, I mean, my Danforth is, a, is adjusting my distance up and down along the bank, right. but the grapple is letting me adjust how close to the bank or how far away from the bank I am. Mm-hmm. And if for some reason, if the boat is kind of wandering, you know, if the wind is blowing me and the wind keeps blowing the boat towards the bank, yeah, I'll actually take my, I'll take my Danforth line and I have like a 20 foot piece of line with a brass hook on it. 
I'll put the brass line over the over the main the main Danforth line and I'll pull it down the side of the boat maybe two or three feet like down along say the port side and I'll yeah. come tight on the spring line cleat yeah. and and what that will do is that will that will make that anchor line pull from like the 10 o'clock position on your boat so it will kind of make your bow point out to the right a little bit okay right. It'll help to turn your outboard motor a little bit to the right too. So it all of a sudden the outboard motors pushing the back of the boat in. That angle is making the bow pull away from that from that bank, and you can let more or less line out on that grappling hook to adjust your distance, maybe ten feet, maybe fifteen, maybe twenty off that bank, where you can sit there and watch your depth finder, and you can see, okay, I just went from 10 to 15 to 20. That's really a great place to sit right there. And if you spend 15 or 20 minutes there and nobody gets a bite, you can wiggle a little bit. You know, maybe you pull up 10 feet on your, on your Danforth line to move a little further up the bank. So there are ways that you can wiggle around there without totally resetting your anchors. But by using the tide to hold you against the wind, you can really get specifically on a piece of that bottom. And, and you'd be surprised how much a foot or two difference makes. That's a neat trick, actually. I never even thought of that. I go. appreciate that trick. Not to put it into use next time. Now, I'm Spring assuming... Lines. Spring yeah, lines definitely. are great. So the side bank. So I'm assuming it's going to be a vertical presentation, right? Pretty yeah. much. Per, per vertical presentation mm -hmm. and, and are we are we keeping the jig still or are we kind of like bouncing it are we looking for certain little pockets behind broken chunks usually if if the current is running pretty well i'll i'll wait for the current to slow down before i start using the jigs because mm -hmm. a lot of times if you're fishing and again each each channel is different you might have a really really wide channel you don't really have that much current so you'll be able to fish a jig um, where I usually fish over by Margate Bridge, I would probably be using a six ounce sinker most of the time. Okay. And as the tide started to slow down, then I, I could use a jig. Gotcha. Makes sense? Yeah, definitely makes sense. So as I mean, somewhat still use a rig up until you get the right current or if it slows down enough that you can actually be able to sit a jig on the bottom because and again it all has to do with the moon phase mm -hmm. and even even what the wind has been like. I mean, sometimes if we've Sometimes if we've had a, a really, really hard uh, south wind and it blows a lot of water into the back, those currents are going to roar for a couple of days as the water is dumping out. Yeah. And the opposite is true. If the wind blows out of the north really, really hard, you know, sometimes we see those water levels get really, really low in the wintertime when the wind blows hard from the north. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the opposite is true, where that you won't get so much current moving. And, and that's a really good time to fish the jig as well. Right. And don't underestimate. There's some big, there's some big pigs back there on the side banks. Everyone's always hit, everyone's always hitting the jetties and the, the bridge and stuff up there. Those side banks hold some pretty big. Once you figure out that side bank game, it changes everything. The one of the coolest things is it's really, it's usually not very snaggy. Mm -hmm. Where you know it, it's really not very snaggy. You could rig with, and and the way I rig back there and inshore also is very different too. Where if I am fishing a rig. I'm just going to take my, I'm going to take my um, monofilament. It might be like, say, 25 pound mono and I'll tie a, a, you know, a three inch dropper, dropper loop on it. And I'll usually use like a one-aught, um, like a one-aught Saltex hook on it. It's like a yeah. one-aught one octopus. Mm -hmm. And then I'll just come down and I'll tie a surgeon loop and I'll put the sinker on that. 
the smaller hook is critical in shore, especially if you have kids aboard, because that way you'll be hooking small sea bass and these little black fish. There's no reason to go with like a four rot owner cutting point back there. It's, it's, it's not that kind of situation. Right. So the, the, so back bays, we're not, we're not tying a Belmar, right? We're just using just a simple right. dropper loop. Uh, right. yeah, okay, so, so it'll again. really keep a lot more. It'll keep a lot of seaweed off of your line, mm -hmm. and and you know it's it's much more simple. It doesn't sometimes that the Belmar rig with the heavy line with the top shot with the with the uh, slider rig with the two halves of of a crab. When you have a lot of current and you're trying to fish that way, it's not fun. Yeah. So you know if you're trying to trying to keep a very streamlined presentation. Let it get to the bottom. Just let it get to the bottom and sit there for 30 seconds and, and maybe you'll get a fish, you know? So if you have something that, if you fish that big double hook rig and you're tying, you know, two half of crabs on there, it's almost like a parachute, you know? Mm -hmm. That's why sometimes if the current is moving your bait, try to use smaller bait. Try to take the shells off and take the legs off. Anything you can do to make it be be let make it more hydrodynamic you know less drag in the water yeah. and kind of make it a little easier on yourself make it easier for the fish to eat it right so same setup bridge and docks right same pretty much close to the same setup same technique it's still vertical and so docks are kind of easier docks are usually shallower mm -hmm. bridges the bridges that i fish are, are usually deeper but super deep yeah. Man, I've had days at that bridge and I had four guys on the boat, man, we, we couldn't not get a bite. As soon as your bait at the bottom, was just like, boom, you just, you couldn't not get a bite. It's certain times of the year. It's like right, right about now, man, mm -hmm. that, that bridge bite will be just insanity. Right. But again, once again, for the jig technique, the light tackle jigs, it's still, like you said, we said moon current tide dependent. So Mm -hmm. When the time's right, you have that time to drop that jig. If not, you're sticking with the rigs. I mean, there are rig days, there are jig days. That's uh, that's the way black fishing is. Absolutely. All right. So next step, we're gonna we're gonna jump onto the jetties and the inlets. These mm -hmm. are these are a little tough. I mean, you can get a, you can fish them from the jetties or you can fish them from boat. We'll we'll let you take it away from here, Frank. Which which way you want to start first? Um, fishing them from the fishing a jetty from a boat is a little tricky, and I I've, I've done this a lot in a few different places. Mm -hmm. And where I don't, you don't usually, you can fish an inlet jetty from your boat. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff going on. You got to be really careful with mm -hmm. what you're doing. Um, usually what I'm doing there is uh, kind of like with the sedge banks where I'm, but instead of dropping my Danforth sideways, like uh, along the jetty where I drop it in and then I come back a hundred feet along the jetty. I'm yeah. actually going to go out more towards the channel away mm -hmm. from the jetty. Yeah. So I'm going to drop in an oversized anchor or an oversized chain, get it to grab on pretty good. And I'm going to back my boat up towards right. the rock pile. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to probably let out 150 foot a line or so. It's pr a pretty good stretch. I want to make sure when that hook gets in there, that it's in there. I don't want any, I can't have that hook pulling because that is what is keeping the bow of my boat away from the rock pile. Right. As I start to get maybe 30 feet away from the rock pile, I'll come tight on that. I'll come tight on that anchor line to make sure the anchor stuck. And then I'll slowly back up. And it's tough because you're trying to back your boat up 
stern to the stern to the jetty mm -hmm. and usually the tide is running left or right or right, right. to left so as you're doing this your motor is turned all the way yeah. one way yep exactly. you're trying to keep it a certain direction when you get yourself close enough i usually use a piece of like half inch polypropylene line and i use a piece of two by four about maybe a foot long and i'll drill a hole in maybe, you know, maybe like a third of the way in and I'll drill a hole in it and I'll just tie the polypropylene line through the two by four. It, the two by four is easy to throw. It's heavy enough that you can throw it and you throw it up into the rocks. It's going to sink down between the rocks and you're going to mm -hmm. be able to come tight with the polypropylene line. Yeah. The polypropylene line is cheap. It floats. Um, and that way, if it does get cut off, if you're sitting there for a few hours, eventually that, that line will that line will probably break off. It'll saw itself off. So that way, when that happens, you'll just need to have another two by four and, you know, reset your anchor or whatever. But it, it's, it's very tricky. You have, really have to be careful. You got to have, if you're by yourself, man, you, you really better have your, have your wits about you. Cause yeah. I've done that a lot of times, um, like at the Seaview Harbor rocks behind mm -hmm. Longport inside Great Egg Harbor Inlet. Yeah. where I would drop the anchor and come all the way back and, and throw my wood in there. And I, you know, it, it's a great place to fish. It's a lot of fun, but you got to be safe, man. You got to be careful. You got to be safe. Yep. And that's the double anchor uh, style. If you guys don't have spot lock, you know, like for me, I have the spot lock. It's a little easier, but at the same time, it's, it's very scary with the spot lock. Cause with spot lock, it's electronic. It uses GPS. Sometimes it'll, it'll un unlock itself for you know it's an electronic it, it's not or never 100 percent. and when it does that being that close to the rocks gets super scary oh, so yeah. i for me i'm consistently on the remote so i'll spot lock i usually put my bow away from the uh, away from the jet depending on the current and whatnot i'll mm -hmm. put my bow away from the jetty and then i'll i'll see i'll literally i won't do anything i'll let the, the current tell me what it wants to do and it'll turn the direction it wants to turn so i'll know exactly or even better what you do is you pay attention to the other boats down the jetty see how what they're facing everyone everyone's facing the same direction if everyone's no bow is facing northeast then you know that's the way you're going to spot lock like everybody else so you turn yeah. your boat and you spot lock and then but you always have to be, be very vigilant with the remote right next to you because anything could happen anytime yeah ideally i mean ideally you don't you don't have to anchor up in the channel side of the inlet yeah you could go out of the inlet and turn into the ocean you know now one mm -hmm. side of the ocean you know if the if the if the swell is coming from the north or from the northeast, yeah. if you go out of an inlet and make a left, you're right there into the swell. Yep. But if you come out of the inlet and if you make a right and if you go around, if you go around the south side of the southern jetty, yeah. you're going to be all out of that swell. Exactly. So you'll be able to drop your anchor anchor and you'll be able to come in and get your stern in close to the rock pile. And you don't have to be that close to the rock pile. Yeah. I usually want to be where. If I'm watching my bottom machine, if I can see where the sand just starts to raise up into the rocks, that's where I want to be, you know, because I'm still in, I'm still in 12, 15 foot of water. I'm still, you know, 20 feet away from the rock pile. I'm safe. But the reason you're sitting that way is because if you set your Danforth and come back and you're sitting sideways along the rock pile and you have a hundred foot of Danforth line out, if a boat is coming in along the channel or if a, another bike boat goes by, if you swing on that anchor line, you're going to swing right up into the rock pile. Yeah. So you really, you really have to be, be really have your wits about you with what you're doing with 
placing your anchor away and backing up towards it and then using that toggle to be able to control where you sit. Exactly. But just always remember, guys, safety first, no matter what you do. If you don't, and if you've never done it, just watch people, ask questions. You know, guys like Frank and them, they're always willing to help. Just ask. You know, it's 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 sketchy when you get out there and you don't know what you're doing. It it a good day could turn into a bad day real quick. It it goes bad really quick, man. I've had times when the anchor was tight, and I'm backing up. I'm backing up. All of a sudden, the anchor popped out, mm-hmm. and I go pull. I pull the anchor up to reset it, and there's like a giant ball of seaweed on the anchor that fouled it. It was like. But man, I got like all of a sudden I got really close to this rock pile. It was like, whoa, what? You know, if you're not scared, you're stupid. Yep, exactly. All right. So that that figure that that covers most of our, our jetties and our inlets, guys, for boat fishing wise. And then Frank already talked a little bit earlier about, you know, fishing off the jetties, you know. I mean, we could polish up on that, but like light tackle jigging off the jetties, it's it's it it I've done it. It, it's efficient at the right tides. Like Frank said, it right be that 45 minute window before slack and that 45 minute windows after slack is really good for jigs. After that one, that current starts ripping in and out, holding even an ounce, an ounce and a half jig on those jetty. It's, it's pointless because it's literally the sweeps just going to bring you right into a rock and you're going to, you're going to, you're going to be doing like 50 jigs in a day. I mean, the, the jig may- the right spots, yeah. finding the right, the actual right rocks to stand on is like mission critical. Mm-hmm. Certain spots are going to be good on the incoming tide. Certain spots are going to be good on the outgoing tide. I usually find it where I, I want the tide. I want I don't want the tide coming from my left to right or my right to my left. That's a spot that's going to get you stuck. But if I can get on a rock that I have my back, if, if the tide is going to my left, and if I can get out on a rock and I can look to my left, where I can just drop my drop my rig in and it's going to go right down and the tide's going to make it nice and tight. The tide's not really moving it around a lot. That's a place you really want to try to be. And it's just going to take some, it's going to take a lot of walking around and trying to find which exact rock does what you want it to be and which rock has protection from which tide. Um, and then you then you can really be proficient at it and have a lot of fun. Yeah, exactly. And then if, if you... It's the same thing with every fisherman. We always said you got to put your time on the water, right? So mm-hmm. if you fish a certain jetty for a whole season, right? You're gonna fish. You're gonna fish that whole jetty. Every little rock, every little nook, every little cranny. You're gonna memorize that area so you know certain areas have certain holes, pockets. That's that's what you're focusing on because what happens? Tog love to go into holes, crevices. They try to stay out of the current. So if you find that perfect hole, like for instance, I have a hole a couple of holes up in Barnegat, right? And I know there's fish there, whether there's high tide or low tide. This hole is literally, it drops down like 10 feet into this hole. I literally fished this hole one time and it literally pulled out four keepers in one hole. Like you imagine the amount of hole, it's maybe two by two feet wide, but it drops down like 10, 15 feet. Mm-hmm. But there were four keeper talk just sitting in that hole. Keep in mind, the fish that are in the waters, they are transitional species fish, okay? They they come in, they enjoy the summer back, they come in and spawn in the spring, they, mm-hmm. they hang out in the summer and they have fun, in the fall they start to eat a lot. When that water gets really, really cold, they're going to boogie on out of there and those fish are transitioning. Um, water temperature is going to send them chasing. Also, when the days start to become shorter and the angle of the sun changes, 
these are all things that are going to signal these fish that, that winter is coming and they're going to start to, to get out of those backwaters at a certain time. Um, big fish on jetties, I, you know, I mean, it's really not even something that you're worth, worth talking about. I mean, I saw a guy one time, I think he caught a fish. It was like nine pounds on the side bank. Those are the biggest I ever saw caught. I got one. It was like eight and a half one time. Plenty's a, plenty's a six pound, you know, six yeah. pounds, seven pounds. Yeah, that that's happened. And that's about what you should expect to catch. If you're looking for a double digit fish and you're, and you only fish the rock piles, good luck, fun, man. Don't yeah, put that luck. kind of pressure on yourself. You know no, what I mean? Definitely. Now, in the rare occasion, yeah, you may, somebody might catch a 10, a double digit off a rock, but like the rarity of that is like, it's, it's yeah. far and few, especially in New Jersey also. <laughs> It's not even worth talking about, you know? Exactly. So, yeah, I have a tog myth. I, I'd like to see if you can do a uh, myth buster for me. So the tog myth that I've always been told is like, so certain areas always has a big tog, right? One big tog, maybe a big male, maybe one big female. Well, we're talking about in like jetties. We're talking about you know, big is like six, seven, right? Maybe five or six. So that tog just kind of just stays there. If you catch that tog, and it's a keeper and it goes in your cooler does another bigger talk come and replace that one hole jetties are transitional areas those fish come in in the spring they go out in the fall they they do not live mm -hmm. in that jetty big black fish live in wrecks i would say when you get when you get anywhere between when you get anywhere like over over 70 feet of water Mm -hmm. that's the kind of water that a, a that a fish could live in and it could live there all winter long yeah and if it gets cold enough the fish will just go a little semi-dormant but in jersey in north jersey um there's really not much of the season where they won't bite up in north jersey in south jersey like in cape may waters that's almost like fishing in in virginia mm -hmm. the type of water and the water temperatures we have down there those fish are feeding and growing 12 months a year. But if you get a fish that lives on a wreck in 80 or 100 foot of water and he's a big dominant male, yeah. he probably has a few dominant, I'm sorry, a, a few females there too that are almost like a bull and harem type of situation mm -hmm. where he's got several girlfriends that live there. And when it's time for them to spawn, there's gonna be that one day in July when the water temperature is right. And I've actually spoken to captains who've witnessed this like 50 miles offshore where they see where they was wondering what they were seeing. And they were actually seeing the female blackfish swimming towards the surface and the males nudging the female blackfish on the way. And they get to the top and splash and then down they go and then they do it again. Uh, it's obvious spawning behavior. They spawn there because they live there. They don't move from there because it's the perfect temperature. It's a nice home. It has all their food and they're the king of the wreck, man. Ain't nobody better than them. Exactly. Until Frank comes and pulls that king of the wreck off the wreck. Right. And usually we replace them. You know, we, we put them back, send them back home, but just say it's not us. Right. We, we didn't release it. That person caught that double digit at 12 pounds or 13. He harvests it say a week later, we come back to that same wreck, will there be a replacement? No. Well, there might be other fish that are the same size, or there might be fish that are a little bit smaller. 
-hmm. and they're and they're going to have a chance to grow up into that spot. Sometimes these fish will move a little bit between wreck wreck to wreck, but I've also known it's documented that there are fish that live on a wreck that have been caught and tagged and dropped down and a couple of years later caught again off the same wreck. So, you know, when you talk to guys that, that live there and see mm-hmm. that yeah. and you hear these stories about how they spawn offshore, it's kind of easy to figure out what exactly is going on. You know what I mean? Do they, mm-hmm. do they all stay put? No. Do the, do the dominant ones stay put? Yes. I, I think they do. Well, that's why I- certain good captains know certain wrecks or small structures that hold big fish all the time. And it's, it, it's, they've been out there and they put their time in the water. So they know, you know, you're talking about, you know, Daffin, Fishing Fever, you know, Monger, those guys, they have their little, like, that's, that's why they, we, you're always talking about booking trophy trips because you're designated. They're going for that trophy fish. And, and, and he'll go to a certain spot depending on the weather and depending on the crew that he has with him, mm-hmm. if he has a group of guys that are that are you know def- definitely very capable big fish guys, mm-hmm. then he will go to a certain wreck that day. If yeah. he's got guys that you know half of them are drinking on the way out, mm-hmm. and the other half of them you know show up with whatever, and it probably doesn't matter to them what they catch and what they don't catch. So he's pro- even if the weather conditions right, he's probably not going to go to that type of a spot on that kind of day because the conditions aren't right but if you do go there and you catch that big fish you know one thing that that me and my group do is we if the limit's four during blackfish season here we try to limit it you know and and this this is something between me and and my friend something Mm -hmm. we came up with we'll have we'll have a self-imposed limit of two per guy if they want to do that if somebody shows up and they don't want to do it they can keep however many they want whatever is legal yeah but we usually go to a guy um, we let all the chicks go. We only keep the males okay. and anything that's like over seven pounds that we can let go. We do. Okay. So we're doing everything we can yeah. to try to let the big fish go. We're trying to let all the females go. We usually, we have plenty of fish in the freezer. So it's not, you know, unless yeah. it's like the trip before Christmas Eve where I have to load up because I got the whole family coming over. <laughs> um, but definitely. we always have, have enough fish for everybody, you know, definitely. I mean, it's, it's we do our part right the best we can you know mm-hmm. at the same time in the end it's still just having fun with a bunch of guys on a boat uh sure. yeah i mean i do have a trip coming up with you in a few weeks I'm, I'm, I'm you don't you don't understand the butterflies and the excitement for me to be able to jump on this it's it i'm, I'm expecting to learn more than to catch fish more watch yourself <laughs> no, it'll be fun it'll be fun for everybody that's exactly what i i, I, I expect to just have fun all right so all right so we talked about this, the structure the gear and stuff and all those all right let's actually talk about what we're looking for all right let's just take a random wreck out there that everyone knows let's say let's talk about axle right so we're talking about axle uh we get out there boats double anchored over a perfect wreck we're 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 getting already captain's lines down all right so we're dropping it and you get that perfect vertical presentation that you talked earlier because you said axle doesn't sometimes it doesn't have the perfect no current so all right so it hits the bottom what are we looking for well fishing offshore with a wreck i'm probably going to be fishing an ounce ounce and a half maybe a two ounce jig 
maybe okay. a two, but I really like to stick around that ounce, ounce and a half. Hmm. I'm probably going to be using, um, I'm going to use a little bit of a bigger rod. I'm going to use a seven foot 10 um, weapon mag taper, which is, which is not a heavy rod, but it's got some, it's got some beef to it. Okay. okay? And it's almost like, um, it almost puts, it almost puts you in mind of like a small surf rod. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'll use a BGMQ 4000 on that and I'll do, I'll do just fine with 20 pound line on that. Mm -hmm. I'll go down, I'll go down the 30 or 40 pound leader with about three or four feet of that. And I'll just tie my jig on with a loop knot and drop it down. If I do want to go with a, a jig and another hook also, if I want to have a half a crab on my jig and half a crab on another hook, what I'll actually do when I take my leader before I tie my, my jig on, I'll take one of those, one of those four-aught owners or a four-aught um, or a four-aught Saltex hook, and I'll slide it up the leader, and then I'll tie my jig on with a loop knot. So when I put my half a crab on my jig, the sliding hook, just like in a slider rig, it comes down and lays right at the eye of the jig. I put another half a crab on that. I drop it in the water. I have two, I have um, a two hook rig going on, which is really simple and easy. Um, some guys actually take the jig and they'll tie like a six inch length of leader on mm -hmm. from the eye of the jig back with another hook. Uh, I don't know. I, I try not to, I try not to make things too difficult because blackfish jigging, uh, you're going to go through a lot of jigs throughout the day. You're going to re-rig a lot of times. Usually fishing jigs, I'm probably going to re-rig four to eight times a day. Okay. You know, every now and then I'm fishing, I might only go through two jigs, but you four to eight re-rigs a day. It's a lot. And, and the idea of the idea of the jig and then the piece of line and then the other hook, to me, it kind of takes away from the beauty of the simplicity of fishing the jig. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the beautiful thing with fishing the jig is when you, if you do flip it up, up tight a little bit and it comes down and it hits the bottom and you feel it roll, you feel it roll, you feel it roll, you feel it stop. Beautiful. You feel it stop. Come a little bit tight on it, get your finger on the line, be ready to set the hook because a lot of times when they are, picking on the on the rig and you're getting a little scratch bite on the rig a lot of times on the jig they'll come up and you'll get a scratch and then you'll get a good tug and you know they'll they'll hit that smaller bait much more aggressively than the larger bait so these are times when the jigs really do shine but you have to be adaptable so two questions i heard i have from what you just said why is 710 Instead of like most guys are like a seven or like a seven six. Why do you choose a seven ten? What's the what's the idea behind the seven ten? When I when you're fishing for when you're fishing for blackfish and you start to you start to look for big blackfish, mm -hmm. there's a everybody has a habit, everybody has muscle memory. And I actually learned this from my buddy Joe Zagorski, who's an excellent black fisherman when you throw your bait down and you feel bite, when you set the hook, you set the hook the same way on a small fish as you do on a large fish, because you don't know how that, how that fish is biting. You don't know if it's large or small, it might feel small and you go to set that hook and it's really a large fish. So by using proper form and using the proper gear, 
I'm going to, when I set the hook, I'm going to swing that rod for all I got. I'm immediately going to get the rod tip up to about an 11 or 12 o'clock position. And I'm going to get on that reel very quickly and try to get some turns on that handle. If that's a really big fish, when you come tight on it and you got that tip up and you, you're reeling on that fish, your rod tip is going to reel down. And that's kind of going to pull your rod down to more of a horizontal position. At that time, that fish is going to know he's in trouble and he's going to start dogging. And you're going to, if you moved him five or six or 10 feet off the wreck by swinging that eight foot rod and getting some turns on, if you moved him 10 feet off the wreck, yeah. maybe you got him. Because now when you're, now when you're, when you're holding them and he's dogging, maybe he dogs and goes right to the bottom and he burns you and you're done. But maybe he, instead of him going to the bottom, maybe he turns and he, and he circles the other way and he turns up where you can get another five or six cranks on him really quick. And now when he's dogging, now he's just dogging and you're holding them and you kind of, you're in a pretty good spot now, you know? So it's, it's a lot of luck and it's a lot of skill. But good fish fighting habits, whether you're fishing a rig or a jig, you have the fish, you have to set the hook the same way every time, because there might be days when you don't get a bite all day long and you're, you're just fishing for that one bite. You're, you're just fishing for that one bite. And that one bite might be, might be your new, your new personal best fish. And if you're halfway asleep and you think, oh, I'm getting a bite. Oh, it feels like a small one. I'm just going to set the set the rod with one hand. Man, go ahead. Set the rod with one hand. The big fish is immediately going to turn. He's going to go into his hole, and it's all over. And it's like you're wasting your time. You know, if you really want to play this game, you have to really develop some dedication and some skill into your fish fighting abilities. And you've got to have these habits that are going to help you land the jumbo fish. Nobody cares about nobody cares about landing an eight pounder. Really, it's not a big thing. All right, so so you're saying our hook sets on jigs are practically the same hook set that we use for rigs. The whole sweeping motion, keep it up high, put it right mm -hmm. to your gut, and just start cranking, right? Yeah. All right. So how's and your drag? The rod. No, we'll, we'll get to that too. So how's your drag set? Are you on full lock? A little give. No, I only have, I'm I'm only fishing 20 pound braid, so I'm I'm not on full lock, but I'm pretty heavy. Remember, 20 pound braid's probably going to break around 40 pound 40 right. pounds, so it's it's going to break a lot tighter than you think it will. So, mm -hmm. but you really, I really don't go full lock, but okay. I'll I'll go much tighter than I will for fluke or any other type of fishing. I would say, um, I would say I probably have about. I would say I probably have about 12 to 15 pounds of drag on that reel when, when okay. I'm fishing for blackfish. So pretty substantial drag. Right. And a lot of times if I do catch a big fish and it's dogging, I'll actually cup the spool and, and I'll, I'll hold it a little bit or I'll, I'll mm -hmm. put my hand on the front of the spool to keep it from spinning. Good. That, that's a good trick. The, the company technique. So my other one, my other question I, I noticed uh, that I checked is a, why a loop knot? You said you do a loop knot on the jig. Why not just a straight like cinch, double cinch or something like that? Why a loop? I always, I always 
got into the habit of tying lures and jigs on with a non-slip mono loop knot. A non-slip knot mono loop knot is basically a rapala knot, but in the rapala knot where it goes where it goes through the eye and it comes back and goes through the goes through the um goes through the loop from the knot in the line and then you go around the standing line two times and back through the hole again. Mm -hmm. The non-slip mono loop knot is just through the hole one time around the standing line and back through the hole. This is one of those situations where Rapala made a knot and they added an extra turn and they call it a Rapala knot. So I've always heard that called the non-slip mono loop knot. That's something I actually learned from Bob Popovics from fly fishing years ago. Mm -hmm. And I find a lot of times if I'm fishing a smaller jig, the action is, is great with that. It really has nothing to do with black fishing. It's just a habit that I got into. And I like the idea that I can make the loop very, very small. Gotcha. Okay. I, I was just wondering, I was like, I've I've always just tied direct, just a cinch knot, and boom, you're done with it. I was I was I just wondered was is there like a super secret behind that loop knot that helped you catch more right. fish or none? That loop knot is so easy. It's so easy to tie that knot that when you're tying a jig on, I I, I guarantee you I can tie that new that knot quicker than you can tie a, a cinch knot. You probably could, and I wouldn't even doubt it. It's easy. All right. So, I mean, for these new time jig guys, like the most important, and I think I hear this from a lot of people too, is um, the bite. Like, what are we looking for? Like some guys will feel a bite and they swing. Some guys will say, well, you got to wait for that tug. Some guys will say you got to wait for them to swim away with the jig. I mean, every day dictates a different bite and we know that, but like typically, why don't you walk us through what the types of bite there is and when, when is like the ideal time to set even though that's something you got to learn as you're going along. And you really have to be adaptable throughout the day because some days, some days the bite is the same all day long. And some days the bite that you have in the morning is different. At lunchtime, it changes to something different. And then in the evening, it's something different yet. So you really have to be adaptable. Sometimes, um, especially when the water gets cold and the fish start to get finicky, Sometimes you'll put a half a green crab on a hook, drop it to the bottom, and it'll be sitting there for a couple minutes real nice, and you'll just get a tick, and that's it. He doesn't touch your bait again. You reel up, you'll look at your crab. He just ate the guts out of your crab. That's all he did was eat your crab. Put another crab on, drop it to the bottom, wait a couple minutes, tick, pull him up, no more guts. In that particular moment, that tick is all you're going to get. For whatever reason, that's how they're eating at that point in time. Mm -hmm. Normally with blackfish, you'll get a smaller, it's called a scratch bite where they're almost investigating what it is, where you'll come up and you'll just get a little, a little tap, 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 tap. And then you'll get a more, you'll get a more pronounced tug, tug. And that's what they're referring to when they're saying how to set the hook. But with a jig, a lot of times you're using a much smaller bait. So the bite is different with the jig. Sometimes they will literally just pick the little piece of bait up and swim off with it. And that's why when you're sitting there and you're holding your rod and you're feeling your jig on the bottom and you're not lifting your jig, you're not bouncing your jig, you're letting your jig rest on the bottom. But when but you're feeling the tension, you know, you're feeling the weight of the jig. And all of a sudden you feel the weight of the jig is gone. And all of a sudden you're lifting your rod tip up and you don't feel your jig, you have a fish on. 
that's when you want to swing and, and come and reel up as quick as you can because sometimes this fish will just and they'll do the same thing with rig sometimes they'll literally pick it up and just swim off with it mm -hmm. and that's something all fish will do that with a jig but with a if a fish does that with a rig a lot of times that's like a big fish trick that's something a big fish will do Mm -hmm. They'll just pick up your bait and all of a sudden you don't feel nothing. It's like swing, swing. All right. So, so we're fishing this jig. Are, are we, are we all, are we at slack, a little slack in the line, or are we just kind of keep pretty much great straight line tension? Um, now, uh, kind of, kind of a combination of both where you want to have tension. You want to definitely feel the jig. You don't want to move the jig unless you want to move the jig. And mm -hmm. what I mean by that is, Again, it really depends on the fish. Yeah. Right now, when these fish are aggressive, you can drop you can drop that bait to the bottom, and and if you're not getting a bite in two or three minutes, to actually like lift it up and drop it to the bottom, lift it up and drop it to the bottom, and a fish will see it and come over and eat it, and that's great, okay. And that's that's actually something I learned many years ago with Gary Fagan. It's called quick fishing. It's something he taught me how to do with uh, fiddler crabs this time of year. But again, keep in mind now, we got striped bass going by. We got yep. bunker all over the place. You got dogfish everywhere, okay? Mm -hmm. Part of catching blackfish is staying away from the dogfish. So if you drop your jig to the bottom and it's sitting there real nicely on the bottom and the dogfish hasn't seen it and they're just swimming by, you bounce that jig a couple times on the bottom, you're going to get a dogfish find your bait really quick, Yep. Okay which is one of the reasons why I, you really, I really don't use glow jigs when there's, when there's uh, dogfish around. I don't mm -hmm. use glow jigs. I don't use glow beads when there's dogfish around. When there's no dogfish around, people, you know, glow jigs are okay. Guys like to put glow beads ahead of their hooks and it's okay. Um, but that's the kind of thing you really got to try to play the game to keep away from the doggies. How do you compensate for the, uh, the, the rocking of the boat? You know how you know, swells and stuff comes by. So you you know, your, your rod's going to go up and down and yeah. up. Yeah. The same way, we, the same way you fish a slack line with a rig where you just kind of stay on the balls of your feet. You stay focused with what you're doing. I usually hold the rod, the spinning rod, depending on the side of the boat I'm on, I'll usually hold the butt of the rod with one hand and I'll have the other, the other hand will be up around the foregrip. And I'll usually have the line between my middle finger and my index finger. And I'll just, I'll be rocking back and forth, you know, up and down, up as the boat, as the boat goes down with the swell, your yeah. tip moves up. As the boat comes up on the swell, your tip goes down. It sounds like a lot, but if you, if you focus on learning to fish a slack line, especially if you learn to do it with a rig, if you do it with a 10 ounce sinker, you'll have an easier time not lifting your sinker. People, there's some bad advice too. People talk about, you know, people have been talking about black fishing for years and, uh, you know, some silly people, they're just flat out stupid. They just say things like, oh, you know, whatever you do, you know, they're really quick. You got to hit them just before they eat. It's like, you're just like trying to make people fail. You know what I mean? It's the same thing when people say, use the lightest sinker you can. Okay, because if there's four of us on the side of the boat, and I'm using a 10 and you're using an eight and then the other guy's using a six and the other guy's using a 10. The guy with the six is going to get his current, the current's going to blow his back a little bit and he's going to be tangled a lot with the guy on the end. These are, th you know, 
just keep in mind that some people have given out bad advice over the years. Rig fishing using an eight and a 10 ounce weight is not a bad idea when you're on a reef site. If that will help you learn to fish a slack line and learn how to have that habit better so that when you do try it with a jig and a one ounce jig, you'll be able to adapt very quickly to that. Mm. Definitely, that's definitely super good advice. You guys better take that into note. Uh, we, you said this a little bit earlier, a minute or two. So as soon as you hook this big fish, you pull them off, you get them five, six feet off the wreck, right? So you think you already have them. Are we pumping the rod? Not pumping uh -huh. the rod? Nope. If you if you swing that eight if you if you have that rod down towards the water mm -hmm. and you swing that eight foot rod high that's at, that's at your waist and you swing it up you yeah. probably just move that fish eight or nine feet with just mm -hmm. with swinging the rod okay. so if you get some turns on them you probably have them twelve to fifteen feet off the bottom before he ever knows what happened yeah and this is what I mean about good habits good right. habits okay. You swing it off the bottom. You get as many turns on them as you can. And this is the danger time. This is the time where something bad's going to happen. If that's a big fish and he turns around and goes right back to that wreck and you can't stop him and it just goes, zzz, 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 boom, and you're, you know, you're stuck and you're, and you're shot, but it, it's, it's part of the game. Right. And you don't, you don't want to be that guy. Cause if that happens and he breaks off, guess what? You just shut down the bite for the whole boat. Again, only if it's only if it's the dominant male, yeah, you know, the dominant fish. fish on the wreck. If it's yeah. a jumbo, it'll have that effect. If it's a five, six pound fish, it's probably not going to do that. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why it's like that, but that's what I've what I've experienced. So we're off the hook set. So it's, it's just a, just a steady crank, right? It's nice, yeah. steady, horizontal crank. If he runs, let him do his thing. You know, mm -hmm. don't fight against him, right? So don't, don't, you see him running, don't start lifting your rod, trying to pump him back up. If he runs, let him run, let him, let the drag do its work, let the rod do its work. Yeah. Keep, keep the rod in like a horizontal position. So now you're fighting the rod from the middle and the butt section of the rod. You're using the powerful section of the rod to do its thing. And it's all good. As the boat raises on a swell, the rod's going to bend down. As the boat comes down on a swell, the rod will come up. You'll be able to get some turns on the fish. Yeah. It, it, might, it might take a couple minutes to get used to it, but don't, don't pump the rod. Because by pumping the rod, you're changing the angle of the pull of the line on the fish's face. And there will be a time when you'll get that fish halfway up, you pump the rod, and all of a sudden, boop, he's off. Right, exactly. Pumping the rod is kiss of death. So, I mean, that's the that's something people be a bad advice too, because like no one tells you when you fight a fish, you want to fight it horizontal because you're using the full potential of the rod, but you also have to have the right rod for the job. So. Sure. Yeah, so because like, most guys they like they when I've seen it, I've seen it in boats, Trump Hardy boats. They get into a fish, it's like literally they keep the rod almost like maybe a 45 degree angle, maybe a 60, and then they're sitting there cranking down, pumping up, cranking, kind of like kind of like fighting a big striper. You know, I feel like they need to pump the rod. Well, if you're you know, and here you go, if you're fighting a striper from a stationary point, if you're mm -hmm. standing on a rock pile, if you're standing on the beach. Right. Okay, if you cast your lure out and you hook the fish in six, seven feet of water, and now you're trying to get him over the bar, and now he's in the gully, and now mm -hmm. you got the undertow, you're you may need to pump that that fish a little bit because that's how you have to fight a fish from the beach. 
just like if you're, you know, just like if you're using a fly rod for that striper from the boat, you have to pump the fish with the fly rod because, because you're, you're fighting the fish horizontally rather than vertically straight up and down. Yeah. If the yeah. fish is straight up and down and I'm fishing it and I'm fighting it with a fly rod, I'm going to have my fly rod completely horizontal. I'm going to fight this fish from the middle and the butt section of the rod and I'm right. going to whoop it just fine. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You got to know how to use your gear. Yep. And if you don't know, ask them when it knows, right? That's the best yeah. way to do it. And that's what you learn. Yeah. All right. So we pretty much covered everything, Frank. It was very instructional. I've learned a lot. So I mean, hopefully our, our viewers and our, our listeners learned a lot too. Any last any last things you want to talk about that we may have possibly missed that you think? Just try to try to be patient. Be try to make sure your bait is staying stationary if you're trying to stay away from the dogfish. The way you do that is maybe you use smaller bait. Maybe you make sure you use a bait with no legs and no shell. You make it nice and easy for the fish to eat. A lot of times using a, you know, using a whole white legger, that's a very specialized thing. And you've got to make sure if you're fishing a jig, that kind of goes out the window. You know, you need mm -hmm. to try to get something that's not going to create so much drag that pulls your jig across the bottom. Like that second idea with the little leader and the little hook that ties on there. Yeah. Now, now all of a sudden you have this other leader. It's like four inches long with a piece of crab on it. So when you're dropping your jig to the bottom, how many times during the day does that little leader get wrapped up around your, around your main leader? Mm -hmm. Because if it happens like once or twice and I'm sitting there and I'm fishing and I'm wondering why I'm not getting bites or I get a bite and I'm missing the, I'm missing the fish. And then I pull it up and it's all tangled up. It's like, that's the whole reason why we rig the way we do with the Belmar rig and with the slider rigs. It's all about trying to keep things so that they don't get tangled up. So that when you go out there and you get to the bottom, you know, you're making a good presentation. Right. Because so. we're always trying to keep it streamlined. You know, the more stuff you got wiggling around, the better chance of you getting hung up. That's Keep it simple. Keep that's it right. simple. Exactly. I had, I had a thing. Uh, how do we determine how much weight of a jig do we need? Like, is it a big difference? Someone dropping one and a half compared to someone dropping like a three ounce jig down. Like, how do you determine what's the good weight for it? I, I won't use more than a two. Okay. Okay. Now guys that are fishing up in Rhode Island, they're fishing in very, very shallow water with a lot of current. Mm -hmm. Sometimes those guys will use a three ounce jig up there. If I'm fishing a three ounce jig, I'd rather just go to a rig. Mm -hmm. So down here, there's a lot of days offshore when guys are fishing three quarter ounce jigs, maybe ones, one and a half, two. Um, you want to make sure you use something that you feel comfortable with, that it gets to the bottom yeah. and that it's staying on the bottom and not, not moving around a lot on the bottom. Right. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Depends on the structure too you're on. If, if you're on a place, if you're on a place that's a, that's a little bit flat, especially early in the season, sometimes you can flip out and the current will kind of roll your jig back and all of a sudden it'll come tight on a spot and, and then you'll just fish it from that spot. It really depends on what's going on and, you know, trying to stay away from the dogfish, man. Dogfish are the, are the bane of the black fishermen, that's for sure. 100% does. Also, people got to realize that our fishery in New Jersey is a lot different than the fishery in New York, a lot different than the Connecticut, Rhode Island fishery. Every, every area you're going to fish... So just, just what you're listening here, it may not work in other areas, but it may work. That's why it's your job to kind of adapt because, I mean, 
New York, they fish max, maybe they're inshore like 20 feet of water most, right? And they're fishing a lot of boulder fields. Mm-hmm. So a lot of boulder fields, small rubbles, you can get away with like a half ounce, three quarters, if their currents aren't ripping, they don't get hung up as much. For us, ours is anywhere between 20 and 40, you know, 50 feet, but we have a lot of different structures. We got train cars, we have tanks, we have artificial stuff dropped down there. We really don't know until you really know your wrecks. So it, that technique may, we may get away with a half ounce, but the odds of it, probably not. And uh, you got to fish the right jigs. Cause if, if, if Frank's fishing one and a half, two, I'm fishing one and a half, two. And the guy up front's fishing a half ounce. Guess what? His half ounce is going to roll all the way back and get into, in, in get tangled up in ours. And it's just yeah. not going to make for a good day, guys. Usually on a boat, usually the guys, the guy, the jiggers are usually on the, in, in the back of the cockpit. Mm-hmm. because they're the guys that can flip out a little bit but even so you know like on on fishmonger we have 10 guys you have 10 good guys that are all working together we can we can interchange between rigs and jigs all day long right. with really no problem there will be occasional times when i'll get tagged up you know tangled up with somebody but it doesn't happen very often mm-hmm. because everybody's very aware and knows exactly what's going on with their gear yeah. You know what I mean? But then again, somebody might use a one ounce jig. They might use a one and a half. Nobody's going to, nobody in the middle of the line is going to use a three quarter. The guy using a three quarter might be the guy on his private boat that he's out there, him and another guy. Mm-hmm. You know, he might be able to get away with a three quarter if he's in 50 foot of water and the day is right. Yeah. It's cool though. It's a lot of fun. Definitely is. Get, Using def- the right jigs is really mi- mission critical too. Yeah. Definitely give it a try. Um, you know, before you guys go hopping on like, you know, any of these six packs or so, you would give Morgan welcome. Try, try hopping on a couple of party boats. You know, a couple of the bigger party boats. Learn a little bit, figure it out, figure it current. See, see what works for you, what you like better, and then when you get to a point, you'll get to, you'll be able to jump onto one of the nice charters. You know, and then be able to learn from the 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 other guys around. Because if you guys find groups of guys like Frank gets involved with his group of guys, all super pro fishermen. But at that same time, they're just like Frank, they're willing to help you. You know, you're not going to get that one guy on the boat. Like, well, I'm not going to teach this green or anything. You know, he's tangling up on a body. No, you get into a group, nice group of black fishermen. Everyone's willing to teach. But the first day you're on that boat, it's, it's going to be that way Mm -hmm. because you haven't earned any respect yet. Yep. You know, you, you, if you go the first day you go on there, you can't go on there and start asking questions. No, definitely you not. can start observing. You can start looking. Probably the best thing you could do is ask the mate to rig you up, mm-hmm. you know, and the, first, the other best thing you can do, too, is when you're a brand new black fisherman, make a commitment to do one thing right. Try to try to fish the rig first. Try to learn how to fish a rig. Yeah, because if if you start fishing a jig right out of the get go, that's like that's kind of like the advanced class so rather than trying to fish a jig and then trying to fish a rig and trying to do this and trying to learn that try to learn one thing first try to learn a rig first walk on the boat even if you don't have a, an adequate rod ask the ask the guy for a for a boat rod let him rig you up the first couple times if you want to ask him how to ask him you know hey how are you rigging me up what's that not what's that not the mate will always show you if you see a guy on the front of the boat and he's rigged a little different and he's smoking everybody maybe go up there and take a little look at, you know, what his rig is like. 
if he asks you, you know, maybe he'll answer your question. If not, maybe you just take a picture of it with your phone and maybe you can kind of figure out what that rig is, you know, and you'd be surprised a, a lot of times I've been told a lot of things by a lot of people over the years. And, and some of it was, some of it was gold and some of it was just absolutely stupid. Insane. That's, that's the best way it is. That's one thing I really try not to do. I try, I don't want to overcomplicate this. I don't want it. I don't need to intimidate anybody. Mm-hmm. I try to help people when I can. I have, a, I have a few guys from New York that I've worked with that fish Massachusetts and Block Island. And they were asking me about how to rig for these blackfish. And they never heard of the Belmar rig. They mm-hmm. never knew about using a, you know, a 15 or 20 foot top shot. And they started rigging the way we're rigging. And now they're not getting busted off and they're catching large fish. So it, it's really cool to be able to help guys when guys are, when guys are honorable and, and they really are, are worthy of the discussion, you know? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Most definitely. All right. Well, I think we pretty much covered everything, Frank. It was another fantastic podcast definitely is going to help a lot of people out there understand it jake you know so appreciate it a lot of fun yeah yeah, no problem so once again guys thank you for coming on hopping and listening to me and frank talk about jigging i'm still a greenhorn in this but i'm learning just as much as you guys are um i just appreciate the fact that frank puts out the time and the effort to jump on and literally just try to help us be better anglers uh if you haven't just remember if you haven't already done so um follow us on our social medias check us out if you have any questions look for frank either you know find him on facebook send him a message you know just be nice and gentle he's a big and gentle giant he will <laughs> he can help you where he can but you know he's not going to disclose all super secrets but you know he's a really friendly guy he won't bite you just don't bite him then then it's a totally different story uh but besides that guys thank you keep those lines tight and we'll see you on the next one see you Kwa.